Wow. I love youth ministry. It is the best. My goodness. There's nothing funner than watching people do ridiculous things. Except when you have to do them, which I have done many of ridiculous things, things I'm not proud to share on this stage. Yeah, I'm uh, Paul Diani. I'm one of the youth directors here at the Vineyard. And I've been doing youth ministry for quite some time. I was trying to think about it. Over a decade, I think. So I've been acting like a teenager for far too long. <laughs> really long time. It's taken an, a toll on me. Uh, but uh, yeah, Youth Vision Sunday, it's really a special Sunday too. You know, there's a lot of special Sundays in the year. We have Father's Day, Mother's Day. There's even a Siblings Day. Today, honoring the youth. Youth can be kind of hard to define, uh, but in the Jewish culture, you become a young adult at 12, and then you graduate to adulthood at 30. So I recently graduated my, my youth, of which I could tell. My back hurts every day. I actually had gray when I was like 24, so I feel like I was ahead of that. But yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an adult now, and looking back, I think I, I had a pretty good youth, a pretty good young adulthood. And I'd like to share a little bit with you in honor of the day and how powerful youth ministry was in my life. And honestly, where I just thank God every day, and I, it's truly a, a wonder how the Lord had a plan for me and saved me. Because I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for the youth workers that reached out to me and I think I had a pretty typical young adulthood. Uh, I was homeschooled, and that wasn't, you know, not, not everybody was homeschooled, but I, by that time, all my siblings had kind of moved out. I was by myself at my house. I was watching school videos, VHS at the time. Yeah, and uh, it was just my parents, my dog, and me, and, and I wore sweatpants to school every day, which, you know, flash forward 18 years, I still wear sweatpants to work because I work at home, so not much has changed. But I was, you know, I, I was in my own world. I was kind of a, a loner. Uh, I used to just, I didn't, you know, my friends were my family, my, my siblings, my cousins, some, some friends at church. But most of the time, I, I, I didn't mind being alone. I, I spent a lot of time playing in the sandbox or whatnot. Uh, and w but when I did start school in fifth grade, it was a bit of a shock to me. I wasn't really used to being around so many kids. I wasn't really used to being around uh, a lot of unchristian people, or even in an unchristian environment. That was new to me, and it took me a while to adapt to it. I was, it was a rough start. You can probably ask my mom. It was a rough start for me, but eventually I started to make friends. I was so worried, though. I was worried all the time, and I think it's not hard for us to look back and remember what those early adult years were like, kind of being super self-conscious, always worried about what other people thought, I was constantly thinking I wanted to wear the coolest clothes, but never felt like I had them. My hair was all over the place. It was tough, you know, it was really tough. But I eventually made some friends. You know, come junior high, against better judgment, I joined the football team, even though I was half the size of everybody around me, but that's what my friends did, so that's what I did. And uh, I grew my hair out, and I wear uh, Abercrombie polos with, you know, ripped Abercrombie jeans, and I popped my collar every day because that was cool back then. So that was like a recipe for coolness. And if you did that right, then you were automatically popular. That just, that's just how it worked. It didn't really matter 
how cool you were, because if you wore the right clothes, you were cool. So I found myself in that kind of attention role where, you know, it was, I'd walk around with my friends, and it was like we were the coolest kids. We knew everybody, everybody knew us. At least that's what we thought in our own heads. You know, that's what I, my, I was cool, the epitome of cool. And this attention was new to me. You know, I wasn't used to the attention, but I liked the attention. I liked it a lot. You know, I, I, I thought I was a ladies' man, and I thought that I, you know, I thought I was cool. And that kind of continued through my junior high years and into my early high school years. And, you know, it kind of became somewhat toxic to me. I, I began to seek more attention and to do more and more things and kind of venture out past what I thought would be okay and normal behavior and started, you know, because partying was cool. And so I started partying. I started going to parties with my friends and doing things and getting drunk and doing these things that I didn't think really I would ever be doing, but that's what being cool meant at the time. It was a backwards definition, you know, but I was, I was caught up in it. And so that kind of came my identity. You know, I, I had a cool car, uh, you know, I always worried about my clothes and tried to dress cool. And, and towards the end of my high school years, like my junior year, it kind of became a turning point in my life where I was so prideful and arrogant of myself. You know, I was, I was so foolish. And actually, a teacher of mine just recently shared some photos of my high school years, and, which is about 12 years ago now. And wow, I mean, I think it's natural to look back on photos of yourself and kind of cringe a little bit. You're like, oh, whoa, what was I wearing? My hair. It was definitely better left in my mind. But when I saw the images, it kind of hit me for a moment where I thought, man, like, how silly I really was, how foolish I had become. And this pride and this arrogance had kind of built up to this point where I was, at 17, I was ready to leave home. I was going to fly the coop. I was going to travel the world. I was going to become a rich, young businessman at 17. But that was so prideful. And, and my loving parents, being the awesome parents that they, all, they are, they saw right through my prideful facade and they said, oh, Paul, you know, my dad sat me down. Hey, you want to live the way you want to live, but you live in my house. So if... <laughs> he called my bluff. He knew. He said, look, you can live that way, but you can't live here. At the time, that was a bit more of a challenge to my pride than it was a check. And so I thought, oh, you're right. I can't, I'm going to respect that. And, and, and by the grace of God, that summer, when I, my junior summer, there was a uh, young adult pastor here, and he had moved out west. And he had called my dad, just almost like timely, you know, God was involved. God knew from the beginning, working it out for me. And an opportunity came out for me to travel out west and stay out there for the summer. And of course, I said, absolutely, yeah. Chance to get out of here? Yeah, definitely. So I left. And uh, I stayed there for four months. And... Without going into too much detail, when I came home, I was changed. I was, but I wasn't, what, what had happened was I was stripped. I was stripped down. And I knew that I didn't want to be caught up in this race of popularity anymore. I didn't want to be defined by how many people knew me and how well I was liked. And I, I had my cowboy boots on, and I was determined to, to wear my cowboy boots when I came back and be a changed person. 
And, you know, that worked out for a little bit. But eventually, my cowboy boots came off, my sneakers went back on, and I kind of went back into what I had known. But deep down, I, I wanted something different. I was hungry for something different. There was uh, an empty space in my heart that I had made because I didn't want to go back into the circles that I was familiar with. I was, I was humbled by this world that I had been exposed to. Just simply looking at the mountains was enough. And I was looking for something new. So my senior year, God bless the, the workers of the kingdom who came out and, and met me where I was. I was, uh, I was at one of the football games in you know, and, and even so much had changed in my life where the, the year before I had been like so uh, into the football games and I would be painted up, which is nothing wrong with that, but I would go painted up, you know, and, but I would go back to the games and I kind of was just sitting in the back seat, you know, just like, I'm not really sure that I really want to be in that. And uh, one of the, the young uh, guys that were doing ministry there, he came and sat next to me and he knew more about me than I thought. I didn't even know him, but he, he knew me. Hey, Paul, how you doing, man? Hey, like, he, knew, he must have known I was a PK or something, pastor's kid or something, but he kind of talked to me on a level where, like, it was, it was, he knew that I knew Jesus. He was like, hey, like, so you go to church and stuff, and your dad's a pastor, and, and I just was like, well, that's interesting. And so he said, well, why don't you come out, why don't you come out and hang out with um, this group? We're, we meet on Wednesday nights, you come and hang out with us, and uh, we'll get to know each other. And at the time, I just, it was just, it just so happened, you know, that at that time, I was looking for something new. I wanted to experience a different group, uh, a new friendship. And so I, I said, yes. I said, all right, I'll go. And so I, I started going, and, and I started to experience a group of people that I was completely unfamiliar with. Even though I had grown up in the church, it was just a different time. My eyes were open, my heart was right, it was the right timing for me. And I started to experience a group of people that loved each other in a way that I was unfamiliar with. Just really genuine love. And, and they weren't interested in being the coolest. It was almost opposite. Like somehow the goofiest and most uncool people were the most liked. They were just, they were there to serve each other. They weren't even, you know, and, and you know, I, it, was, it was attractive to me. And so I began to go and go, and, and uh, by the end of my senior year, I kind of phased out, and, I, and you know, he's like, look, this is for high schoolers. You're going to have to figure out what else. You know, there's a, there's a college group you should go to. And I thought, okay, I'll go to that. And so I didn't even know anybody. You know, I, 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 it, I struggled to kind of feel like I knew anybody, but in my heart, I thought, I don't care. I want to go to this group. I want to be a part of this people. This is unlike anything I've ever seen. And so during that freshman year of of uh, college, I, I made a decision. I remember being at a retreat, and I saw the back of a t-shirt, and it's, it's uh, John 30, and it, and it really struck me, because at the time, I really disagreed in my heart with this. At the back of the shirt said, he must increase, and I must decrease. And in my heart, I thought, what? That's really weird. Is that really in the Bible? I had to go look it up. That can't be right. What about me? There's got to be a... I'm, but, but Paul, you know, but, but I'm cool, and like I have a purpose, and I, 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 it, should be, it should be both of us, you know, a little bit of me, a little bit of God. But here's the scripture directly challenging me. 
He must increase. I must decrease. And it was that weekend that I remember standing in that room and, and there was a few, maybe even a thousand young adults and they were playing a worship song and I remember looking up and I think, man, these are the nicest, coolest, most genuine people and beautiful people, you know? I mean, hey. But I thought, I want to be a part of this. I have, I, this is... This is different than what I'm familiar with. This isn't a popularity contest. This is a group of people seeking to serve one another, a family. It's not an exclusive love. It was inclusive. And I thought, you know what? I think I would much rather be unpopular in the world if it meant being popular with God. I would rather decrease so that God could increase in my life, so that my life could be worth something more. And I, I kind of walked away from that weekend uh, determined to pursue what it meant to be a Christ follower. And, uh, and I think this desire to be known is very familiar to all of us. You know, we all want to be known and seen and heard and valued, especially at a young age. I think that's why youth ministry is so vitally important because when youth kids come to the group, we want to show them the love of God, that they are known and seen and valued. And as you grow up into that, it's like fertilizer on a plant. You watch as we blossom. And I, I really began to blossom. I, I felt loved and heard and seen. But pursuing this way of Christ's likeness was very challenging. It was incredibly challenging for me. And I want to look at a, a scripture in Matthew 5 and Jesus shares a message with his disciples about the kingdom's social economics. You know, because the world's social economics, I think we're all familiar with it, and, but Jesus shares his, the kingdom's social economics and how they're, honestly, they're, they're backwards from what we're used to. They're upside down. And it really will challenge who we are in the best way. And so when we look at Matthew 5, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I love how it begins because in verse one he says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains and when he sat down with his disciples, they came to him. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And I kind of picture, you know, Jesus was so not into being popular. He was so not into being famous. You know, even here I get the picture that he's seeing these crowds following him. The crowds are always following him. And so he kind of gets away and he, he goes up in the mountain and He's walking, he's probably walking for who knows how long, and he sits down, and I think by that time, maybe the only people that were following him at that point were his disciples, because the others were like, oh, geez, this guy's hard to follow. He's going up a mountain? I don't know. So his disciples follow him, and they sit down, and he begins to teach them these attributes of what it means to be Christ-like, what it means to be a follower of God. And so we read here in uh, Matthew 5, Verses one, and seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, he sat down, and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are attributes of a Christian, a follower of God. And I think that they are actually, you know, they conflict with our natural response to, to, you know, to the world. And, you know, looking at like poor in spirit, that doesn't sound like a very positive attribute. It's kind of something you'd be like, oh, I don't want to be poor in spirit. That doesn't sound good. But I want to go through these and, and kind of describe what I think Jesus is saying about what it means to have these, this heart of God. And so he says, poor in spirit. I think maybe what I think of is, is dependent. Dependent. This is somebody who knows that they can't do it on their own. They don't have the resources and their own power to accomplish the things they need to accomplish. They depend on God to show up. There's, and you know what else? I think somebody who's poor in spirit, there's no sense of entitlement because they don't have a lot, so they don't claim to own anything. There's, they, they are not even... I have here a citizen of heaven. Their perspective is different. They're not even here on earth. They're in heaven. Their citizenship is somewhere else. They don't even claim to have rights. You know, I am poor in spirit. And that, that's, a, that's a perspective shift for sure because we're so used to feeling like we're entitled to things and maybe think, thinking that you deserve something or you own something and not being dependent but being independent. God says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall be rich. That's like, if you're poor, then you shall be rich. It's like, whoa. Mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. Sad. You want to be sad? I mean, that doesn't sound like something you want. But God says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think people who have this spirit that God is talking about, the mournful, are the ones who see the world the way God sees it. They have a heart, God's heart. And honestly, guys, when you have heart of God, you are brokenhearted because you see the sin and the hurt and the brokenness in the world, and it makes you want to cry. But those who see that know who the true enemy of the world is. The enemy is sin. And so they, they even though they mourn, they are comforted in the gospel. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Their comfort comes from God alone. Meek. Blessed are those who are meek and humble. The world likes confidence. The world likes people who are proud to be who they are, who speak up and who show up and prove their worth. But here, the meek, the meek don't need to prove anything. Meek doesn't mean weak. I think that's often confused. But meek, that means that you have the power to win, but you don't need to show it. I had, I had here that, you know, the meek are content on not being the best, not being the richest, not being the most popular, not even being recognized, and, and possibly, you know, being the last, not appreciated, content with not receiving any appreciation or thank you because your thank you doesn't come from man. I don't need your appreciation. I don't need your praise. My identity comes from God, the meek, the humble. 
Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. I kind of, I would summarize this as like a Jesus freak. Somebody who is unwavering in their faith. These people are fighting for what God calls right. They won't grow weary, Jesus is saying. And I, I wonder why he says that, but then I thought, I, you know why they don't grow weary? Because they're no longer questioning what is truth and what is right. You know, outside of this, the world is constantly shifting in what it believes to be true and what it believes to be right. Day by day, the morality of the world will change beneath you. And that's exhausting. Just when you think you've made progress in your, in your morality and all of a sudden everything, you're wrong and this is right and this has changed. This is truth. These people are sure on what is right. They aren't exhausted in trying to find the truth anymore. They can stand confident. And it, actually, guys, it looks a little illogical. They're illogically faithful. They don't even need all the answers to trust God. I don't have to have all the answers to trust and believe the truth. And because of that, I'm not thirsty, I'm satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, the generous, and the forgiving. I have here the the one who turns the other cheek. You know, people who are full of compassion for others, they will find that they are cared for. This is interesting because I think we live in a world of seeking justice and righting the wrongs. But the merciful aren't interested in being, you know, distributing judgment and justice. They're okay with being mistreated. They're okay with being mis- offended. You know, the truth is, I actually pray and I ask God, like, God, I don't want to be offended. I want to be full of grace and mercy to turn the other cheek. I think that's, that's also contrary to what we believe today. You know, we, we think that we need to right the wrongs and to, you know, tell everybody what, you know, how they, how they you know, I'm offended about that. You know, you should do this. But extending forgiveness and mercy is, is contrary to our natural instinct. But God says those who are merciful will be forgiven. If you extend mercy and forgiveness, you yourself will be forgiven. Blessed are the pure in heart, the honest and the transparent. I, I think this one's easily confused because when you read pure in heart, you, auto, you automatically tune yourself out because you're like, oh, I'm not pure. I'm not perfect. But that's not what's being talked about here. He's not saying blessed are the perfect because we're not perfect. God's saying, blessed are those whose intentions have been made pure. Your intentions, your heart, your heart has been made pure. You may mess up in your actions, but your heart has been justified and rectified and redeemed. And that, that is a, a prayer that, that really, I should say, there's a prayer that, that I began to pray When I started to let God increase in my life, and it comes from Psalm 139, and this is the prayer of my life, and I really encourage you guys to to read this and and meditate on this scripture, but in uh, Psalm 139, verse 23 at the end, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, a pure in heart knows that they are broken. And they invite God in to correct their heart, to redirect them. They repent for their sins quickly. Hmm. (laughs) This is a good one. I think we struggle with this. We don't like to be corrected. Correcting others can be really hard. Uh, Even if you're good friends, or if you're married, or your children, or your parents correcting you. But correction is really the most powerful form of love. And when we give somebody permission to correct us, we will be changed and we will be more perfected. I know that with, uh, with my marriage to Katie that we have to set aside time to give each other permission to correct each other. You know, the, the worst thing you can do is correct somebody when they're not asking for it. <laughs> that is a bad idea. Even though you're like, but... I need to tell you. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's when we give somebody permission to correct us, that's when the door is open, your heart is open, and you can receive that correction. And here, the psalmist is giving God permission to correct him, to correct his heart. That's how you become pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, For I I think the other word here is for they shall be redeemed. And blessed are the peacemakers, the people who seek to unite rather than to divide, not speaking bad about one another, but giving grace and mercy to others instead of resentment and judgment. A problem solver, a peacemaker, And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that can be a little confusing, but I I, I meditated on this. Why is he saying that? Why is he saying we shall be called, in other words, children of God? And I think because when you seek to be a peacemaker, you are really finding that your true identity is to be a child of God. God is a God of peace. That is who he is. And so when we partner with him in peacemaking, we find identity and purpose. This is tough. You have to check yourself. I challenge you, never speak bad about another. Try that. Tough. Pretend like somebody's always, you know, I pocket dial people sometimes. (laughs) Pretend like they're always on the phone. Would you say that? If they were listening, I've been caught a few times, and I vowed never to do that again, because that's not really how I feel. I want to be changed. I want to be a peacemaker, somebody who sees and forgives others, and seeks to unify and unite, not to speak the bad things. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted. This one's tough. But I think what Jesus is saying is that if you follow all these attributes, you are going against the grain of society and against what is normal. 
You're trying to walk upstream in a river that wants to take you down. That's tough. It's hard to say that you will be disliked or spit on or or name-called, but you might be mocked and laughed at because you're fighting for righteousness. I, I, I looked in my heart and I thought, is, you know, where have I been persecuted? And I've seen it in my life. I've seen it. People mocking my faith. You believe in a dead God. Jesus is dead. Why do you believe in him? You're following a zombie mocking me. And it's tough to stand up for your faith. It's tough. I didn't feel like I needed to challenge them. You know, I, I prayed that my, my heart was full of mercy and grace and meekness. But you will be persecuted. And blessed are those who are persecuted. Maybe even, another word might be like robbed or stolen from. Because you will be blessed, Jesus says. So you see this, like, these, I want to say, dichotomy of, of being poor. If you're poor in spirit, you will be rich. If you're, if you're mourning for the world, you will be comforted. If you're meek, you will truly be powerful. If you're thirsty for righteousness, you will be satisfied. If you're merciful, you will be forgiven. If you're pure in heart, you will be redeemed. Or those who seek to be pure in heart will be redeemed. Those who seek to make peace will find their identity. And those who are persecuted will be blessed. So in closing, this group that I was invited into as a young man, I was looking for something different. I didn't want something to meet the desires that I already had, but I wanted something to challenge me. And when I, when I was invited into this new group, which is really the body of Christ, the church, I was exposed to something that was contrary to what I was used to, and it was exactly what I needed. See, we are called, Jesus goes on to say we are the salt and the light. We are called to be the salt in the soil, providing nutrients and preventing the growth of bad things. We're not called to be deluded by the world and be the same. We're called to be different, to be a light that shines in the darkness. And by doing that, you will draw others unto Jesus. And I was a result of that. I was drawn to God because of the life of these people living together, inviting me into this inclusive love. And so that's the encouragement to you to follow these attributes, to let these become your new normal and not be caught up in the pursuit of fame and popularity and to be liked and to people please, but to be challenged to be more like these things. And that's really what I have for you guys. But, you know, I, I wanted to close really with that last psalm, which is to pray. This is, you know, read that psalm. We don't have time today, but read that psalm, and you will find out that the only person that can truly know you is God. He formed you. He knows every part of you. Even before you were in your mother's womb, he had a plan for you, purpose for you. He knows everything you've ever done and ever will do. You don't have to explain yourself to him. You can be truly known by God. And it will satisfy that desire. So, amen. Cool.
All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get on with our service. Jesus, thank you for sharing this message to your disciples. And let us hear. You said, he who has ears, let them hear. God, we have ears. Let us hear with our heart. Let us be challenged. Let us be the salt and the light in this world that it needs. And free from the, the tricks of following the, the world's way. We just commit the rest of the service to you. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen.